0: good morning folks great to see you all welcome to church As has already been said a few times we're gonna continue on with our series through the gospel of Luke today uh, this is the the penultimate uh, sermon in part one so we will have by the time we finish next week we will have preached through, and hopefully uh, some of you will have um, been reading along in the series as well for the first uh, nine chapters. I don't know if you ha- have picked this up throughout your readings um, themselves, but, but Luke's gospel itself kind of falls into uh, three parts. The second part that we're going to be picking up in the new year runs roughly from chapters 9 through to 19, and it's a it's a Passages of scripture that are populated by a load of material that is unique to Luke. We don't find it in the other gospels. And they're called the travel narratives because it's kind of the the journey that Jesus is taking from um, the place where he's from in Capernaum to Jerusalem. But all the things that we have been reading about um, for the last uh, couple of months, really, have all taken place um, in and around Capernaum and Galilee and Nazareth. Uh, what we might call Judea, and that's why they're called the, the, the Judean passages. So Jesus has been ministering in his home territory. So you may have picked some of those things up as you've been reading along. But our passages for this week have run from Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through to 8. Um, verses 56. But I really just want to focus in today on three verses that take place at the beginning of chapter 8. Let me just see if I can get control of the the slides here. Uh, Sandy, perhaps you would just scroll on to the the next slide for me. But Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through to verse 3. And uh, we're just going to pick those readings up today. And as we do so, let's just pause and quiet our hearts, open our ears, and say, Lord, as we gather around your word, would you speak to us through it? Enable us to hear the words you need us to hear. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen." Amen. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. Remember that little note about the geography of all of this that has been taken place um, in and around his home territory. And as he traveled, he went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven, seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, the passages that we have read today, those Three short verses. They're actually part of a, a wider block of passages that run through from chapter 7 and into chapter 8. And if you've been reading along, and particularly as you read these passages in, in a block, you'll, you, you might have picked up on a, a number of, of key themes that have emerged. And Sandy, if we can just go to the next slide. My little clicker isn't working today, so I'm going to have to prompt you as we go along. Let me just try it again. Nope. There we go. Maybe there's a delay on it, but um, we'll just have to communicate telepathically this morning. (laughs) So um, so I'm going to be directing traffic and trying to preach at the same time. But but you'll see that there's collections of little stories that, that happen together, and they focus in on a couple of things. One of them is on faith. So in some instances, Jesus is calling people to faith. And then corresponding, we see different responses in faith to the call of Jesus. And alongside that, the question that has been building up throughout the beginning of Luke's gospel, who is Jesus? Luke, well, he injects an element of suspension into the narrative, and he's going to take us right to the end, and he's going to give us a full revelation of who Jesus is. But we're beginning to see questions arise about the identity of Jesus. Who is this man? And that in itself, in the revelation of Jesus' identity, provokes a range of different responses as well. Now, as I read through the passages and um, consulted the, the commentaries, I was alerted to something that Luke has laid out for our consideration. And it is this, the surprising identity of those who respond positively in faith towards Jesus. So, for example, when we were reading last week, we would have read of the centurion. And that was quite appropriate that our readings last week included readings about a soldier, bearing in mind that we marked Remembrance Sunday last week. But Jesus reserves high praise, perhaps even the highest praise a person receives in the gospel for this non-jewish soldier. I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all Israel, Jesus says about him. And you will maybe note as well that if you fast forward towards the end of Luke's gospel, we will meet another centurion. This time, this is the centurion who's the guy who's responsible for overseeing Jesus' crucifixion. Can you imagine having a job like that, by the way? Your job is to crucify people. But we are given an introduction to the centurion who was responsible for crucifying Jesus. And after Jesus breathed his last, well, Luke tells us that the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel stories, familiarity can sometimes breed not quite contempt but we lose the surprise element of what the gospels are saying these are surprising people who are surprising who are responding positively in faith toward jesus and if you find yourself sitting in church this morning thinking i never thought a person like me would end up being a christian or a part of a church well you're just part of a longer longer story of people who have wound up being a part of the jesus community not really expecting that it was for them and I think that that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. Now, the other thing that I found, and particularly as you read the block of passages in one sitting, you will have perhaps noticed another feature. And it's the prominent role that women play in this gospel. Now, this is marked in the other gospels as well, but it is, per, it is perhaps most pronounced in the gospel of Luke And of course, our reading today gives us a little bit of an insight into the the backroom staff in Jesus' ministry. We read about a a group of women, Mary, Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, a woman who is connected closely to the corridors of power, a lady called Susanna, and many others. And these women were supporting Jesus and his traveling ministry band out of their own means. And this is only one example of a theme that runs throughout Luke's gospel. So on a fairly consistent basis, women were at the center of many of Jesus' illustrations and stories that he told. And as we have read there, played a significant role in supporting Jesus' ministry and perhaps even more important than that it is women in Luke's gospel who who consistently exercise faith in a significant and exemplary way we have already thought about this as well when we have thought about for example Mary the mother of Jesus we we had a sermon on her earlier on in this series and we thought about that that response when she was giving the, the The utterly mind-boggling news that she was, as a virgin, to become pregnant. And what did she say? I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Only one example of many, of significant women who are included in this gospel. And what they are saying to us is, this is how you're meant to respond in faith to Jesus. The list just over my head, well, this is the wider list of of women who turn up in the gospel of Luke, and that column on your left, you can't really see it now that I turn around, but on your left-hand side, these are all accounts that are unique to Luke. Where am I going with this? In the last couple of days, I've ended up having a conversation with one or two people about sermons and writing sermons if you don't want to get into a long-winded conversation with me don't ask me about this here because I will answer your questions because I'm really really interested in it but I, I got into a conversation with somebody a very very brief one as it turned out that I was saying that when I sit down to write a sermon I always end up writing two sermons and then I have a decision to sit down and cut one out of the actual sermon itself. Otherwise, my sermons would go on for a long, long time, and nobody wants that. Isn't that right? I can preach longer sermons if you want. Hands up who wants longer sermons. Dennis? Nah, it ain't going to happen, Addy. Well, I'll tell you what, I could do a little small group for you in the, in the lounge after the service. Anyway, all of that to say is that this is, this is a sermon that was like that it ended up becoming not even just two, but three or four sermons. And this little section that I have just talked through was one of the ones that I was going to cut out because I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. But, but beyond that being interesting, I wasn't necessarily alive to the significance of it. But as I sat with them and as I a number of times cut it out, I, I felt in my own mind that i was to include that and to share this little brief outline of the role that women play in the, in the gospel of Luke. And then, as I sat with them, I was reminded of one or two things. And I remember a year or two ago, something was said to me, and this was passed on to me secondhand, okay? So I don't know how true it is, but somebody who had began to attend our church but decided after a little while that it wasn't the church for them. Completely fine. That, that happens on a regular basis. But the information that got back to me was because of the role that women play in our church. And um, the adjective that was used to describe the women in our church was fuzzy. 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 I don't really know what that means. Not frizzy, Sarah. <laughs> Fuzzy. Fuzzy. Now, hear me. And don't start speculating about who it was, because they're not here, okay? And, um, but for whatever reason, as I was preparing this, that come to my mind. Because I can remember being irritated by that. I can remember that little expression annoying me. <laughs> because I know the women in this church and I could use loads of words to describe them, but fuzzy is just not one of them. Strong, faithful, articulate, dependable, loyal, gifted, long-suffering, they are the type of words that I would use to describe the women in this church, particularly the ones that I know, the guys I work with here, and others who are part of our community. And I think that our church is, in a sense, a reflection of the type of community that Jesus built, because at its foundation, along the backbone of that movement of followers were women. (laughs) And Luke draws this point out for us, actually when we consider the story in a not-too-subtle way faithful, loyal women. Well, they were the backbone of his ministry, and they are the backbone of this church as well. And I say that not to, not, to, to, um, not to create a competition between men and women, because we as Jesus followers in his church are called to exemplify the types of relationships men and women are meant to have with one another. And it's not to be in competition with one another. It's not to subject and to subordinate one another, but it is to complement one another. So I've kind of said what I've got to say on, on that, but I thought, might we just in this moment applaud our women? And if you're a woman, you can a- applaud your fellow women as well, but I am thankful for them, so let's give them, a, let's give them a, an applause. <laughs> I hope you men were clapping as well, but um, that's good. Let, let's move on to the next, the, the next slide, because our text today gives us a little bit of a, of a snapshot of not just Jesus' ministry and the backroom staff as such, but also a, a little bit of an indication as to when he went around preaching, what did he preach? And, and the message that he preached was something about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god and we'll just highlight those words in red after this jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of god so this is luke's little term to to kind of just wrap up this is what jesus went about teaching and proclaiming and preaching about the good news of the kingdom of god but what is the good news of the kingdom of god Many have come to believe that this is the message that essentially says, believe in Jesus, and when you die, you go to heaven. You might actually be thinking that as you read that term. That's what the good news of the kingdom of God is. My sins are forgiven, and when I die, I get into heaven. I don't believe that that is what Jesus or Luke has in mind when he puts this little phrase in for our attention to sum up. Jesus' preaching ministry, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is not about us going to heaven after we leave our bodies behind, but rather what God in Jesus is going to do for our material, physical, created world. Everything in it, including you and I and our physical bodies. And it is the promise that he's going to heal it and redeem it and restore it. And in a sense, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus give us a little bit of a snapshot of what God is going to do for the entire creation. Jesus took on the judgment of sin in his physical body and was put to death, okay? But we're told that his body could not, well, it, it wasn't allowed to see corruption because of his righteousness and his goodness and his grace and his sinlessness, that once the world and its powers had done their worst to him, they could do no more, and he'd come right back to life. And in a strange way, in a body that the disciples struggled to understand, what on earth is this? But it had been made new. It had been restored better than it was before. And what God did for Jesus, the Gospels say that he's going to do for the entire created universe. I can't quite fathom that, but when we read that Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, it is explicitly talking about what God's going to do on our earth with those who have gone before us and those who will come after us. Now, we know that in our New Testament, the standout event is the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection of, of Jesus. But the Old Testament also has a, an equivalent, a parallel standout event, and that's the story of the Exodus. It, it happens near the, or near the beginning of the, the Old Testament scriptures, and you know the story, don't you? It's the delivery of Hebrew slaves from bondage in Egypt by God's mighty um, mighty hand. It is God who delivers this group of people, okay? And he delivers them not from some kind of, you know, spiritual abstract slavery. We're talking about real flesh and blood chains, real slavery, the stuff that costs people their lives. That is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament story about Jesus, okay? And it overshadows the rest of the Old Testament story, And this is what I think that God was doing in that story of the Exodus. He was showing that He Himself was free. God was free to act across all jurisdictions. In the ancient world, people thought that gods were restricted to geographical areas. So Egypt had its gods, and some of the other nations had their gods, and they couldn't go over their geographical territories. But when we read the account of the Exodus, God. The, the Jewish God Yahweh, he acts wherever he wants, including Egypt. <laughs> he is a free God. And in calling this group of slaves out of slavery and bondage and into freedom, well, he is showing that he desires something which is the free worship of free human beings. You see, you and I, as human beings, were designed for freedom, not slavery. We were designed for dignity, not degradation. We were designed for worship, but worship that is offered freely to our free God, our creator. I want to come back to that word worship in a moment or two. But when we go to consider and try and add depth to our understanding of what Jesus was doing in the Gospels, we do well to keep the story of the Exodus in our mind. In fact, Jesus' ministry is explicitly compared to the Exodus in Luke's Gospel and in the other Gospels as well. So, we read about uh, the... uh, a conversation that takes place with Jesus and a few others at something called the Mount of Transfiguration. You perhaps have read about that story. But you look there in the, in the verse, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. But a better and a more literal translation of that expression was this they spoke about his exodus. <laughs> which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. The word exodus is a better translation to have there than the word departure. Jesus was talking about the exodus, the new exodus that he was about to lead and to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, of course, when he was crucified and brought back to life. Once again, the free God was expressing his desire for the free worship of free human beings. And this brings me back to this word, worship. Because when the Bible describes the type of relationship that humans are meant to have with God, when it describes the relationship that creatures like you and I are meant to have with our creator, the primary word that is used to describe that relationship is one of worship before we are friends, before we are sons and daughters, we are called to worship. We are built for worship, but we are built for worship to the Creator and nothing else. Now, the interesting thing that the Bible does with this word worship is that it uses it for a number of different things. The the word itself is a little word called evoda, A-V-O-D-A. Evoda. The free God desires the free worship, the free evoda of free human beings. Now, the word evoda, it has a range of meanings, and they're often lost in translation. So, for example, it can mean a ceremony or service. So, for example, we come together today to something that's called, what do we call these things that we do together here this morning? A service, don't we? We, as we gather on a Sunday, we come together because we are bringing something to God fundamentally. You're not coming to be entertained because there's far better ways of getting entertainment than listening to me go on for half an hour, (laughs) though our singers are pretty good. But fundamentally, we come together to bring something to God, an act of service to God. And this word, evoda, is used in our Old Testament to sometimes describe that. The ceremonies are the services that we are a part of in our worship of God, in our evoda of God. But interestingly, and we see this in the book of Exodus, that the exact same word is also used to describe Slavery. (laughs) To describe what the Israelites were forced to do for the Egyptians. One word that describes two dramatically different things. A word that is used sometimes to describe the free acts of worship and service that free humans bring to their God. They're not forced to it. They're invited into it are the acts of slavery and enforced bondage that the same people were forced to bring to harsh task masters and the bible sets up this comparison between worship as freedom and as a joy-filled act of love and service to god or that which is forced that which is compelled from people And that's not what God is about. When we look to Jesus, we see a man who is God incarnate, who is inviting people into free relationship with God, proper relationship with the Father. And I think that when we keep the Exodus story in mind, God acting compassionately on a group of people who are enslaved and we see that Jesus is beginning to do a new work, a new exodus. We're beginning to see what God has in view, not just for small groups of people, but for all humans. (laughs) Proper relationship, proper worshipful relationship with Him, which leads into free and loving relationships with one another. The good news of the kingdom of god that jesus proclaims well is that one day this world is going to be reshaped along those lines but in the here in the now in a world that has been visited by the gospel of christ and a world that has still got its roots in the old world of slavery and bondage and corruption you and i we have been led into a new place, <laughs> like the Hebrews of old. We have been led into a new place where we can be new human beings and free human beings, offering free worship to the free God, <laughs> where our relationship with him has now been restored and our relationships with one another, which I think are of equal importance to God himself, where well, they begin to find their proper balance. And as we live like that, it sends out a powerful message to our world of what it one day will look like. And that's why all of this is good news. It is good news. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of our God. And that kingdom, Scripture says, is going to be ruled by Christ. That is good news, friends. This world, this world ruled by a just ruler. This world ruled by a prince of peace. This world ruled by somebody who doesn't have a darker agenda. This world who is not not going to be ruled by somebody who is, well, who's got an ego to, to wrestle with. who wants to enslave people that is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom and that is what we are invited into i'm going to invite the band to make the way back to the platform it's probably an overstatement not a band but a duo <laughs> And as we close our service today a question I have for us is what is our proper response to the gospel and to the king who proclaims that gospel and now lives amongst us? And i think that it is one that demands our thanksgiving that demands our allegiance and our loyalty that forces us to to live well with one another and the world around us but i think more than that is that we respond with heartfelt gratitude and affection to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has made all of this possible. When I was chatting last night to, um, to somebody about sermons and creating sermons and whatnot, I said that my hoped-for outcome as a result of one of my sermons is that people would love Jesus just a little bit more. <laughs> and I hope that as I have tried to unpack what He has done for us, that we just love Him a little bit more that we're warmed up to him that we feel more affectionate toward him so lena perhaps as you begin to play and a second or two i'll hand back over to lydia but i invite you just to stand with me and let's allow our hearts to be warmed up to jesus let's allow apathy well, for it to be thought out and to be dumped out of our hearts let our minds be filled with the glory of the gospel of Jesus and our hearts filled with love for him for his church and for his world Lord we want to thank you for the gospel that you proclaimed to us and Lord not just that you proclaimed it but you embodied it that you lived it Lord that you made it all possible by what you suffered in your body and having done all of that Lord you were raised to life for our justification for our goodness Lord you did it for us and for that we are thankful
1: This morning, when we were singing and praying, I just had a a sense and a word that I felt like I needed to share. And I sensed it during our um, team devotional that we did last weekend, um, last Sunday. And I've just been sitting with it this week and felt like the Lord wanted me to just expand on it, so I'm just going to do that um, and trust God with it. there's a verse in Philippians, and I love, the verse of, um, I love the book of Philippians because it's encouragement to an oppressed people, and it's the starting verse in it, it's um, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, from Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus, the anointed one, to all his devoted followers in Philippi, including your pastors, and to all the servant leaders of the church. And there was this phrase that hung on to the the, uh, other words that I hung on to in this translation. It's servant leaders, Um, usually it's deacons. I just wanted to read to you, the Greek text is deacons. And the word for deacon is actually taken from the Greek compound of the words dia and kovis, that means to kick up the dust, referring to a servant who is so swift to accomplish his service, that he stirs up the dust of the street running to fulfill his duty. And I just think that is a really cool picture. In Jesus' days when you're wearing Jesus' sandals and a servant of Jesus is so excited about his duty that he's like running around and she's running around so quickly that it's actually kicking up dust because they're keen to get on with what they're called to do. And so I was encouraging our team, the youth team, about this and thinking about it and thinking about it last week. But what happens when we hit periods in life or situations and circumstances where where we're not really wanting to kick up the dust? We're not really wanting to get up and be excited. And actually, our sandals are dragging. They're dragging behind us. And so I was thinking about that. And um, this is the verse that I... I felt come to me this week. Um, it's in Isaiah 58. It says, this is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is this, share your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on. Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage, and then when you pray, God will answer, and you'll call out for help, and I'll say, Here I am. And it says, if you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins, if you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in darkness and your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go, and I will give you full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles and strong bones, and in the NIV, I love that, firm muscles and strong bones, but in the NIV it says, and I will strengthen your frame, I will strengthen, I will strengthen your frame. And so for us, if we don't feel like we can run and kick up the dust, what I love about that scripture, it says, keep going, keep going, keep being consistent, keep doing what you know how to do. You already know this thing, keep doing it, keep doing it. And I was asking God in the service, how do we keep doing it? How do we actually do that? And I felt like God just say, do this. So I don't know if this is for anyone specific, but I felt him say, do this. You stay consistent and you take it one step at a time, one day at a time. Do what, you know how to, do what you know how to do. Continue on, continue on. He's with you, he's with you. And so if that's for anybody here this morning, I wanna encourage you. And another quote that I read this week, it says, breakdowns often lead to breakthroughs. So if you're breaking down, just know your light is coming it's already come but it's coming okay and maybe we need to encourage one another okay it's okay to break down because your breakthrough is coming so just let it happen wherever you are one step in front of the other staying consistent allow him as you're staying consistent to steady your frame who needs a steady frame this morning yeah okay I'm glad I'm not the only one I definitely need a steady frame a steadier frame Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen our frame, that you would give us, um, that you would give us firm muscles and strong bones. And Father, for the for the people in the room that are um, kicking up the dust and going for it with you and going for it in their service of you, Father, we ask that you would just continue to give them enthusiasm, encourage them, build them up, show them the people that they need to love on well this week. But Father, if we are in the room and we feel like we're dragging our heels. and and life is hard and situations and circumstances are difficult. Father, I ask that you would help us to be consistent. You would help us to be faithful in meeting with you, even if it feels like a discipline and even if it feels like a chore. Father, we believe that there is something in just obedience and keep going. And Father, we thank you in advance that your breakthrough is coming in our lives father we thank you that where we need you to meet us you're already there you're already there waiting for us you've been waiting for us I thank you that your heart towards us is compassion and tenderness it's compassion and tenderness and father I pray that that part of your character and nature would be the thing that leads us that you are a good father and you're not a distant father. You're not a disconnected father. You are a father that is in our midst. You're in our midst, incarnationally in our midst when you sent your son to us and you gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would equip us, equip us for the path ahead, for the week ahead, for the week ahead, equip us. Whatever it is, Father, we don't wanna miss what you have for us. We don't wanna miss it. So please, Father, please, would you strengthen our frame. And actually, as you strengthen the frame of us individually, that you would strengthen the frame of this church. You would strengthen the frame of this church. You'd strengthen us so we all can walk in what you have for us. Because you've got things for us. going to sing one more song. The, the service has officially come to a close and we sang it before and we're going to sing it again. And the verses in it or the lines in it is in the crushing and in the pressing, you're creating something new. So as we sing that, you're free to go. You're free to coffee and tea. And I think there's possibly cake, little bites to eat out there now. But if you feel like, yeah, there's pressing and crushing, I just want to just encourage you to hang on to the moment and just have faith, declare faith that he's making something new in you. Amen. Amen.